Okay, welcome to the workshop. Is it on? Make sure it didn't go and pause. It's titled, my name is Paul Worcester, and the title of the workshop is Evangelism as an Everyday Part of Life. And in this workshop, I'm going to just kind of open myself up and share some things that God's done in my life, really looking at um, the why behind evangelism and the how. So does that sound good? Sound pretty good? And I think, honestly think, if whether you're a gifted evangelist and this is your thing, or evangelism makes you want to pee your pants, like, I think this workshop is going to be, you're going to find something that, that walks away. Um, I was, I was like, listening to this on Siri, I downloaded it on my phone, and I was, like, getting convicted by my own writing, so I think it's all right. <laughs> I don't know, we'll see. So let me pray, and then let's just jump right in. Father, um, I thank you for these students. Lord, if each one of these students walks away from this um, workshop, with a clear vision and a urgency to, to see your good news shared with those without Christ, um, it'll be a huge success. And that's what I'm asking for. And so I pray that you fill me with your spirit. I pray against any distractions that each of us would um, be able to focus and you would speak to our hearts, even, even of the things that we've heard before, that, that we, would, we would grasp them with a new sense of urgency. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you want to have evangelism as an everyday part of your life, the first thing I'd say that you need to do is accept that the Great Commission is your mission. Um, can anyone in here quote the Great Commission? Anyone? Right. Okay. Let me read it out, out loud here. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And these are Jesus' last words um, before he ascended into heaven. And now he's sitting on the throne ruling the universe um, and being a boss like he is <laughs> and his uh, my thought is these are Jesus's last words his last words should be our top priority Jesus's last words should be our top priority in life he gave us a job to do when he left he gave us a job to do and I love I personally follow the Twitter account you had one job. Anyone seen that Twitter account? You had one job. It's like when someone puts a door handle like right here on the wall. It's, it's, it's awesome. I, I, I'd love to get into it. But really, as followers of Christ, we have one job, honestly. It, it kind of boils down to, to making disciples. And whether you choose to engage in the mission that Jesus gave us or is, is whether or not Jesus, Jesus will say either you had one job or well done, good and faithful servant. And so God has given you have a role just as much as if you were standing on the mountain that day when, with the 70 or so when Jesus was about to ascend to heaven. It's, it's just as much your job as if you were standing right there hearing it from the very words of Jesus. Because these are, we can count on these, are, these are his, his words. But the thing is, only about 2% of Christians share their faith. About, if there's 100 students at this conference, about two of them actively, regularly share their faith. Hopefully we're the exception, right? Okay? Um, we're, we're pretty intentional about that. But the thing about it is when, when people talk about our role, our, our mission as an organization or as a church, we say, yeah, we, it's our job to do the Great Commission. It's our job. But when it's our job, it really ends up becoming no one's job. Right? Okay? And you have to get to the place where you're, it's your job to make disciples of all nations. It's your job to help fulfill the Great Commission. And how many of you guys have seen uh, kindergartners try to play soccer? Okay, anyone? It's what, what happens when kindergartners try to play soccer? Bunch ball. What? Bunch ball. They're all around the ball. Okay, what else? It's hectic. They're, they, maybe they're picking grass or, or looking in there. I, I know I have videos. I was looking at my, picking my navel, my belly button. And uh, I, I actually think this is a great illustration of 
what a lot of Christians live life like. They're, they're focused on picking grass or, or picking their spiritual belly buttons when they, they really should be focusing on getting the ball down the field and, and seeing those without Christ come to relationship with God. And, um, and I think, what, well, let me ask you, what do you think are some reasons that, that followers of Christ don't, most followers of Christ don't share their faith? What do you guys think? What are some reasons that most of us don't share Christ? Yeah, Angel? We expect somebody else to do it. Yeah, it's like, it's the staff's job or it's you know, the student leader's job. Okay, yeah. Comfort? Yep. Okay, what else? What? Don't know how. Don't know how. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. Anyone else? Any other reasons? What'd you say, Robin? Fear. Fear. Yeah. It's scary, right? Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. It's not a, it's not an issue of, of gifting. It's an issue of obedience or disobedience, honestly. And so some are gift, more gifted than others, but uh, we all have a role to play. We all have a part to play. So if you're going to, first thing that happened to me was if you're going to really engage evangelism as an everyday part of life, you need to wake up to the serious implications of eternity. You need to get an eternal perspective. You need to wake up to the serious implications of eternity and get an eternal perspective. Have you ever thought about how long eternity is going to be? I I encourage you, let's take five seconds and think about that. How long forever is going to be? I think it's, it's actually pretty scary. Thinking about how, being, even when I, it boggles my mind to think about being even in heaven with God. <laughs> it, it almost scares me a little bit because the uncertainty of being in heaven with God um, forever. It's, it's exciting, obviously. But, but when we, if we believe what's true about the Bible is that those that don't have a relationship with God are going to be spending forever separated from God in hell. And, and that should motivate us. That should motivate us to, to do our part to, to see those without Christ come to know him. James 4.14, it says, Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Tonight, when it's cold, go outside and breathe once. That is how long your life is compared to eternity. Your life is just a snap. It's just a breath. It, other, other verses say it's like, it's like a vapor. Um, so are you living for eternity? Are you living for eternity? And are, are, are you living to help others come to know Christ? I remember the first time I caught a glimpse of this. We were s- sitting around a campfire singing uh, some old worship song. I, I think it was some Chris Tomlin song. And, uh, and I was learning a little bit about this and, and the implications of the exclusivity of the gospel and how, how those without Christ really don't have hope. And I was looking at these flames and I just remember thinking, my friends in the dorm hall that don't know Jesus are going to be forever separated from God in flames like that. And I just, I just started crying. My, my buddies didn't know what was up. They're like, what is going on here? Um, and, and I realized that, that this is, it's impossible to, over, to over-exaggerate the urgency of our mission. It's impossible to, to, to over-exaggerate how urgency the mission of reaching the lost is. Because it's eternal implications. Jude one twenty two. it says, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. So does your heart break for the lost? You may not be an emotional guy or a girl, um, you, and, and maybe you don't cry or weep about things, but is your heart broken for those without Christ? Do you see the thousands of students on your campus um, and think, if nothing changes... They're destined for a life of sin, a life of bondage, and an eternal hell and separation from God. Does that bother you? (laughs) Um, The Bible says that those without Christ are dead in their sins. Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. It says they're dead in their sins. Those without Christ follow Satan. 
Ephesians 2, 2. They, those without Christ are blinded. They're blinded. They can't see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and Acts 26, 17 and 18. It says they are slaves to sin. They can't not sin, okay? <laughs> I don't know if that's correct. Um, it says they will be separated from God forever in hell. And honestly, the reason that most of us don't share our faith is because we don't believe this is really real. We may say this is true. We may read it in our Bible, and we may, you know, pass the theological test to get into, you know, whatever Christian um, leadership or something. But do you believe this is really real? The people that you see every day at the coffee shop, the people, your friends, your family, do you believe this is really real? That, that if, unless they hear the gospel, and unless they respond to Christ, they are going to spend eternity separated from God. And does it bother you? Okay, and does that bother you? Does it bother you enough to do something about it? <laughs> okay. And it bothered Jesus enough to, to come down, to get off his throne in heaven and come down to become a man, to die on the cross, and to, to live the perfect life, and to take this, your sin and my sin. The, the person that cares the most about the lost is God. The person that has the greatest heart for those without Christ is God, is, is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When you line yourself up with this mission to rescue people from the, this, the, their own fate, their own, of their own doing, then you line yourself with the very agenda of God. This is God's mission to see those without Christ come to know him. Second Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet, guys. Jesus is going to come back once he, he believes enough people have heard the good news and had a chance to respond to Christ. That's what this verse is saying. We need to be a part of his mission uh, of doing that. So there's excuses and lies. So the next thing that you need to do is you need to reject the excuses and lies that you personally have for not sharing the gospel. And I'm going to go through a few. Robin, you mentioned the fear of rejection. And honestly, that's the first one most people have. And, and all my life, that's been a big thing for me is, is trying to be cool, to look good, feel good, have the goods. You know, I wanted to be that guy that, that, was, that was cool. And um, talking about Christ or sharing the gospel just wasn't that cool for most people. But it wasn't until I started really following Christ and getting over some of that, that I realized that it's more important to please God than man. And 1 Thessalonians 2.4, it says, we are not trying to please God. I mean, try, sorry, <laughs> correction. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. And Galatians 1.10, it says, am I now trying to win the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay, so you think when you share the gospel, um, there's, there's three things that can happen when you share the gospel. What are those three things that can happen when you share the gospel? Okay? They meet Jesus. They come to know Christ. Okay? That's one, right? Good. What's another thing? They say it's rejection. Okay, that's, that's one. Okay, what's another thing? There's one more thing that can happen. Yeah, still thinking about it or, you know, planting a seed, you know, they're, they're thinking about it. And so we could all agree getting saved is good, right? <laughs> okay, uh, you're with me here. What about planting a seed? Is that good? Okay, what about rejection? Is that good? Okay, not, not for them. Okay, it's not good for them, but it's actually good for us. Um, let me show you what the Bible says. It's 1 Peter 4.14, it says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ... You are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 1 Peter 4.14 So if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And then another verse I love is Luke 6.22 and 23. It says, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Luke 6, 22 and 23. So according to these two verses, 
What are the benefits of getting rejected for the gospel? What are the benefits, if you were listening? Spirit of Christ is on you. So you're filled with the Spirit. You're close to the Spirit, okay? What's another benefit of getting rejected for the gospel? Learning from it, yeah. Learn from your mistakes. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe you didn't make a mistake. Um, it says here that you get blessings in heaven. You get rewards in heaven. And so I heard about a group of students that got a, got a hold of this concept, and they were actually just doing some cold turkey evangelism. And uh, every time they someone rejected them or slammed a door in their face, they they gave, they went ching and, and gave a high five and moved on to the next person because they were just racking up those rewards in heaven. So. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit and you want rewards in heaven, make sure that you share the gospel enough to get rejected for your faith. Now, I'm not talking about being obnoxious or being the, the blowhorn, the, you know, the guy that yells about hell on campus. I'm not talking about being that guy, being obnoxious. I'm talking about lovingly sharing the gospel enough with enough people that you're regularly rejected um, for your faith. Uh, Bill Bright says, success in witnessing is taking the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. The only failure in witnessing is a failure to witness. The only way you can mess this up is not doing it, not being obedient. This, when I learned these principles, it freed me up that it's not my job to convert them. It's not my job to make sure they don't reject me. It's, it's only my job to lovingly share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results up to God. It's in, it's, in their, it's in God's hands and their hands to, to see, see what they want to do. The next thing is fear of losing a friend, okay? Fear of losing a friend. And I have a really simple answer for that. If you're afraid of losing a friend, that should be the very reason you share the gospel with them, okay? If you're afraid of losing that friendship, that should be why you share the gospel with them. Because, for example, would you rather have a friend for one day or the rest of your life? Okay, would you rather have a friend for one day or the rest of your life? And a friend that doesn't share Jesus um, doesn't really see that friendship as very, very valuable. And so, so with you, if you really care about your friends, who do you want to see in heaven the most? Okay, who do you want to see in heaven the most? It's your closest friends, your friends and family. So those should be the first people or the top priority of those that you share, share with. Now, I'm not saying... That I'm saying there is tact and there is wisdom on how and when to share with friends and family, close friends and family, but you will share. If you love them, you will get to that. You'll pray for opportunities and you'll ask the Lord to give you opportunities to share with them. A real friend tells a friend about Jesus. And then um, the third thing that a lot of people say is, well, we're in America. Uh, a lot of people have already heard the gospel. A lot of people have already, and that, that's just not true. Is, is you go on our campus, you go on USC, you go on Chico State, you go to Germany, there's even a lot more. Um, you go, basically, in America, I would venture to say most people don't understand the gospel. Most people, even if they have some religious ideas about Jesus or God, they don't understand that salvation is by grace through faith. They just don't understand the gospel. Christy and I on Chico State's campus have literally talked to hundreds of students and it is actually very rare to find a student that actually fully understands the gospel and how to, to come to know Christ. In Matthew 9, 36 through, through 38, it, Jesus saw the crowds. It says, Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And when Jesus saw the crowds, the, the masses of people that, that needed to hear about his good news, he had compassion on them. He had a deep sense of care for them. And he said this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And what I've discovered is that the problem is not with the harvest, okay? The problem is not with the harvest. The, the harvest is plentiful. There is hundreds of students on our campuses that they just need someone to lovingly and respectfully get into their lives, befriend them, and tell them about Jesus. There's, there's millions of people around the world that are ready to respond to Christ. The, har the problem is not with the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The problem is a lack of laborers. The problem is a lack of laborers. 
And so let me ask you, are you a laborer? Are you a laborer? And are you praying for laborers in your ministry? Are you, are you praying for laborers? Because that was the first thing Jesus said, ask. The first thing wasn't go, it was ask. So, so you need to be praying for that you'll be a laborer and pray that others will be raised up as laborers within your ministry. So, but the average person needs to hear the gospel at least seven times before they commit their lives to Christ. The average person needs to hear the gospel seven times. So you don't know if you're the first or the sixth or the seventh, um, and you just need to do your part and, and, and be a part of that gospel chain, that, that link in the system. And your job is not to decide for them. I hear people say, well, they're probably not interested, so I'm, not, I'm just going to keep it to myself. Like, how do you know that? <laughs> like, how do you know they're not interested? The only way to find out is if they're interested or not is try to start a spiritual conversation that leads to the gospel. Now, I'm not, just, I'm, not just saying, I'm not saying going out and like tricking people to have a gospel conversation with you. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying you, you, you try to initiate gospel conversations and see if they're interested and find out for yourself if they're interested or not. The fourth thing I see excuses, excuse, common excuse, is I don't know how, okay? And this one is easily remedied, um, and I would just say then learn how, okay? <laughs> this is what we do at Challenge. Um, ask one of your staff members, ask the person discipling you, and we will teach you. This is why we do ministry. This is why we're on staff, is to teach you how to share your faith. So, so that's a lame excuse, honestly. You know, um, I, I don't know how is not a good excuse. Um, there's great books. There's all things I can tell you about. But the best way to learn to share your faith is just to do it. Do some Nike evangelism is what I call it. <laughs> just, just do it. Just get out there and do it. And it's kind of like swimming, okay? Um, my daughter, she's two years old. She's actually a really good swimmer. Um, and it's kind of crazy. People do double takes on her, like, how is she such a good swimmer? But she didn't, I didn't have a children's book on how to swim that I read with her and, and, and talk about how to swim. We were in the water a lot, learning how to swim. And, and that's how you do That's how you learn to share your faith. It's just by getting into conversations, messing up quite a bit, and God is more than capable to take your weak, feeble attempts and use them for his glory. He, he is way bigger than your fumbling and bumbling. And, and I'm more concerned about you practicing and getting, getting used to sharing your faith than learning the perfect lines and the perfect things to say. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 3, it says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And that's 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 3. So according to this passage, what do you have to know to share the gospel? Okay. Does everyone know that in here? Everyone know about Jesus Christ and him crucified? Okay, you know enough to share the gospel, okay? If you were led to Christ, you, enough, you know enough to, to tell someone else about Christ. And when I, I, I'm encouraged when I read this passage because I picture Apostle Paul as kind of like this buff guy that's like, throw me to the lions or rip their heads off, you know? It's like, he's, he's, he's like this macho man. But he said, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And I think that's something we can all relate to I remember the first few times I was sharing the gospel. My, I, I'm sweating right now, but I was just like pitting hard, man. It was bad. <laughs> I was shaking. I was nervous. Um, but, but God uses our weakness, our fear, and so that, that our, our faith would not be on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So, so that's where verse 4 comes in. I remember one time... Um, I, was, I had a, a lineup of discipleship meetings that I was doing, and I had some really bad ones. And I had a guy I was meeting with, and then the very next hour I was meeting with a, a guy that wasn't a Christian. It was a gospel appointment, uh, just a chance to share the gospel with a guy. And I, it was a horrible, discouraging discipleship meeting, and it was like spiritual warfare, and I just felt like, you know, just like the poop emoji afterwards. It was just bad, <laughs> you know? And, um, and... Uh, so I sat down with this guy, and I was completely drained, and I just said, Lord, just help me. And I had a little basic small talk, and um, I, I don't even remember exactly what happened, but it was horrible small talk. I was like, so, how are you doing? And, and I, I just said, yeah, I have this, this Bible study lesson that 
has some verses about the gospel and stuff, you know. <laughs> and and I, I put it on the table, and we started reading it together. And he, re- he was reading it ahead of me. He actually read ahead. And, and he stopped me and said, wait, because we were talking about sin and how that separates us from God. And he's like, wait, so how can I be made right? How is there any hope for us? If sin separates, separates us from God, how is there any hope for me? And I said, just a second, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay, just a second. And we got to Jesus and how he's the substitute and he takes the sin and he, all the sin that we've committed in our lives is put on him on the cross. And it was like, he basically led himself to Christ at the meeting. And, and I just, I was fumbling and bumbling. I was out of it. And it just showed me that it's not based on my ability to, to be smooth. It's not my ability to, to be a great, even a great conversationalist. It's just my ability to be obedient. And that's what I want you guys to take away from this. I just want to ask you, challenge you to be obedient. Be obedient to what the Spirit is prompting you to do. And get yourself in, in, in conversations and take opportunities for, for God to show up. Because God is more than capable to, to use you. The next thing I'd say that excuses, excuse a lot of people make is I'm just lazy. Okay. I'm just lazy. And you know, that one is bad. So, um, what do you think Jesus is going to say that on the, to that on the day of judgment? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. You were just lazy. Uh, Proverbs 10, five is a good verse. It says, he who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. Proverbs 10, five. James 4, 17, it says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. And honestly, if we really believe the gospel, what, what would, would you say the gospel is more valuable than the cure to cancer? Okay. That should be a very obvious yes, right? But we don't act like it. Okay. We don't act. If you had the cure to cancer, what would you do? You would start a blog. You would talk to the greatest medical doctors. And, but what if you kept your own little personal relationship with your cure to cancer? And you, you're like, if I ever get cancer, I'll be good, okay? What would, what would the society do to you? You'd get the death penalty. Um, and so a Christian that is just going through life and focused on themselves and having their personal relationship with God is basically saying to the world, you can go to hell. They're basically saying to the world, you can go to hell. Um, another excuse people make is, I'm just going to wait until people ask. I'm just going to live a good life and wait till people ask me. So how many times has that happened to you? How's that working out for you? <laughs> that's my question. If that's your strategy, how's that working out for you? How many times has someone asked you about your faith? I'm not saying it shouldn't happen. 1 Peter 3, um, 15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to, for the hope that you have. So that should happen. That's happened to me a few times. But it's not the norm. That's the exception, not the norm. St. Francis of Assisi said this. He said, share the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Doesn't that sound cool? Sounds cool. The problem is it's not biblical, okay? The problem is it's not biblical, okay? It's kind of like saying, feed the poor. If necessary, use food, <laughs> okay? It just, it's illogical because the gospel is a message that to be proclaimed and to be understood. Romans 10, 14 how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? So people need to hear the gospel. I heard about a businessman that was really honestly wanting to be the best Christian businessman he could be and make a, a great impact in the workplace. And he went and he was kind, he was loving, he was sincere, he was a hard worker, which those are, you need to be all those things, okay? But he didn't tell anyone that he was a follower of Christ. And it turns out, um, one of his guys that he worked with came up to him and said, hey, I just accepted Christ. Um, I'm so excited about that. And um, this businessman said, what? I've been praying for you for years. That's so exciting. That's such an answer to prayer. And the new believer looked at him and said, what? You are the reason that I put off following Christ. Because you led such a good life that, that I thought if you could live such a good life, if you could be so kind and so generous without knowing Jesus, then maybe I didn't need him in my life. 
And uh, needless to say, that businessman from then on made a point to let people know the hope that was in him. He let him know, he, he made a point to, to identify with Christ and to share the gospel with others. I found that in the book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. So I didn't just make it up, don't worry. Um, so if, number eight, is this is a tricky one. It says, an excuse people make is if I share the gospel with them too soon in the relationship, it might turn them away. Okay, this is an excuse a lot of people make, and uh, it says, if I share the gospel with them too soon in the relationship, it might turn them away. And that's, it's tricky, and, um, but the problem is, is I don't see any biblical basis for that line of thinking, honestly. I actually see the opposite. I see Jesus, when, when he was doing his ministry, he, he said, he preached to the crowd saying, repent and believe the kingdom of God is here. Um, Apostle Paul, the early church, I don't get the impression that they were being very careful about who and why and when they were sharing the gospel. Acts 5.42, it says, Day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Acts 5.42. Acts 4.20, it says, For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. When you see a good movie, what do you do? You go tell your friends about it. When, when, you get into, when you go on a hot date, what do you do? You tell, you brag about it to all your, all your buddies, okay? People talk about what's important to you. And so, so if Jesus is the most important thing to you, it should be on the tip of your lips. And now I'm not saying you're pushy, you're weird, you're, you're, you're kind of like forcing the conversation on people. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying your bias is to, when in doubt, share the gospel. When in doubt, start a spiritual conversation. Because it's usually the Holy Spirit trying to lead you into those things. Acts 20.20, 20, Apostle Paul said this. He said, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. The Apostle Paul, before he left the Ephesian church, he said this. You know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. And so what I want to see in my life is a courage and a lack of hesitation to believe that God can do his work. And I'm not talking, again, I'm talking about lovingly steering a conversation towards spiritual things. I'm not talking about tricking someone to pray a prayer or, or you know, read something with you. I'm talking about steering a conversation towards Christ. And in Colossians 4, it says, um, pray for open doors, basically. And I'm going to go in a little bit more about Colossians 4. But it says, pray for open doors. So this is something that I do every day as I pray for open doors to share Christ. And... Uh, you know, some doors that I go to are closed doors at first, but I like to jiggle the handle a little bit. See if it's unlocked, and I like to peek in and just see. Anyone home? And, and, you know, if it's locked, then I don't go in, okay? Or if I say, anyone home? They're saying, go away. Then I close it. But if it's a wide open door, then I take it. So I think that's a good illustration for we need to be constantly um, identifying with Christ, constantly bringing up spiritual topics, and there's uh, some wisdom you need to learn to follow the Spirit. And if someone is closed off, don't push it on them. But if they are open, you're going to find, if you live this lifestyle, you're going to find a lot more people are open to spiritual conversations than you think. I really think you're going to be surprised. Um, and so we need to believe that the gospel can do its job. Okay, the gospel doesn't need our help, right? The gospel is the power of God. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But it may offend people sometimes. But if you do it in a loving way, in a respectful way, it's not you offending them. 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to, to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18. To those who are being saved, it is the power of God. But usually, I've rarely had someone offended by me sharing the gospel with them. I, I, and I've shared it with a lot of people. The gospel is how you can tell. I call it the divine litmus test. Okay, The gospel is the divine litmus test. You want to find out where they are on the scale. You know, the negative 10, negative 8, negative 7. You know, you can lovingly attempt to share the gospel or to start a spiritual conversation, and you can do it in a way that doesn't make the, the relationship weird. 
Okay, you really can. You can do it in a way that opens it up for further conversations. And I believe the gospel can be a great start to a relational evangelism friendship, not the end of a relationship, evangelism friendship. So you can start by sharing the gospel and then serve them and love them and build relationships and earn trust and and do all those things that, that people share about relational evangelism. Because some of us, I honestly believe, are a little too smart for our own good, okay? We're too smart. We we're trying to help, help it out a little bit. Um, I heard this great story by anyone heard of Lee Strobel. He wrote The Case for Christ. And him and Mark Middleburg were at Willow Creek. And uh, they, they wanted a, a church, uh, Willow Creek Church, a mega church in Chicago. But they wanted to start this little side ministry of um, basically bringing in all the skeptics and answering their theological questions and their apologetic questions. And then their real goal was to talk to people afterwards, the ones that were quiet sitting in the back, talk to those guys. And they were leading a ton of people to Christ just through this little side ministry. They asked Bill Hybels, hey, can we do this? And they, Bill was like, yeah, sure, why not? Just do your other jobs, okay? And, uh, and so he let them do that. And they were seeing a ton of people come to Christ. And there was this little um, old lady that was married to a guy named Paul Little, who wrote a great book on um, how to give away your faith. Paul Little, How to Give Away Your Faith. And she kind of hobbled up to them and she said, you know, you know what you're, the reason God's using you? You know why God's using you guys? And she said, it's because you're dumb enough to believe this will work. <laughs> you're just dumb enough to believe this will work. That just sharing the gospel and, and proclaiming the truth about Jesus is going to save people. You're just dumb enough to believe Jesus can do this. And that's what I pray for us, is that I pray that we really walk through life being dumb enough to believe that God can save people. God can use you and use his message, his good news, to save you, save people. 1 Corinthians 4.20, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And so when you share the gospel, there's a lot more happening than transfer of words. There is a spiritual battle going on, and there is the whole, I believe a lot of times that if you share the gospel in love and with sincerity and clarity, those people that I think about the character of God, he's not going to let them forget that. It's very, I, I seriously doubt the Holy Spirit is going to let someone forget about that conversation with you. I, I hear too many salvation stories um, of people hearing the gospel, and even if it's a short encounter, and them, them being haunted by that conversation for years until they have a breaking point, or then they meet a, a follower of Christ and that person leads them to Christ. And so how dare us <laughs> to, to limit what God can do through being obedient to what he's called us to do, to, to boldly and, fit and lovingly proclaim good news, because that's what it is. It's good news. And so we should act like that. <laughs> the gospel really is good news, honestly. The next, last excuse people make is, it goes a similar, it's a similar excuse, but it's, it won't really make a difference, okay? It won't really make a difference. And my answer to that is, you're never going to know unless you try. You know it won't make a difference if you don't share. And, and so that's a lie the enemy will use in your life. When you feel prompted to, to start a spiritual conversation, you may think, well, this isn't going to make a difference. Nothing could really be farther from the truth. Only God knows what your efforts will produce. People, when it comes to evangelism, everyone has their own thoughts and ideas about the best way to do it. This tool is the best, or, or this strategy, or this. But I believe that the best kind of evangelism is the kind that you do, okay? <laughs> the best kind of evangelism is the kind that you do. Um, for example, one time, um, I was at OU, and we lived in the dorms, and my brother and I were walking home from class, and... Um, we just got this idea that maybe we should go out and we do this survey approach, kind of, I call it, we call it random evangelism or initiative evangelism, and we just survey people, and if they're interested, we share a little gospel booklet with them called Steps to Peace with God, and, um, and we do it mainly, the biggest benefit of that is it helped us in our boldness to kind of overcome the fear, but we went to our dorm room, and um, David went down the hall to invite some other Christian guys to go out with us to share the gospel, and I was in my room alone, and I started to have this spiritual battle. I started having these thoughts just entering my mind. And um, it was, looking back, I, I'm pretty confident it was the enemy. He was saying, this is not very effective. 
This is not, and he was saying, it, these thoughts were saying, this is not effective. Just talking to random strangers about the gospel, it's not very effective. And so I just prayed, yeah, I, I couldn't sort it out in my mind, so I just prayed, Lord, show me if this is effective. Show me if this is worth my time. And we went out, and that day we saw two people pray to receive Christ, and we saw another guy that was a nominal Christian that I actually got to start discipling him. I discipled him for about two and a half years. He was my greatest discipleship relationship I had in college. And, and I discipled him. I taught him everything I knew, some things I didn't. And um, I was praying for India. I felt like God was calling me to go to India as a missionary maybe. And, but it turns out that God called Travis. Travis is now in India seeking to make disciples on a college campus where I was thinking about going. And, and it was, if I would have listened to the lies of the enemy in that moment, I wouldn't have met him. And he might not be in India today. And, and I just say that to say, don't listen to the lies of the enemy. You, it is worth it to share the gospel. And it, it is not a waste of time. Ecclesiastes 11.6, it says, Sow your seeds in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. So, Ecclesiastes 11.6. So it's the idea of sowing. You sow the seed, you don't know which one's going to work, but you trust the Lord to do what he wants to do in the lives of people. So I want to encourage you, think about that, and we're going to take a short break, turn to one or two others, one or two others, and, I mean, not one, yeah, one or two others, and answer these questions. What stood out to you from this first section? And which excuse is your... Your little pet, your favorite excuse, okay? So what stood out to you, and which excuse do you use the most in, for not sharing? So just discuss that for a minute. Okay, I'm sorry, you're not done, I know. You never, these things always, you want to go more than you have, but um, I, got, I, got some, I got some more things to say, okay? So, so sorry. Sorry I'm not sorry, okay? Um, so I want to I let you know my personal struggle, okay? I, when I, I started to learn these things that I just told you about, and I started to get super motivated, and I honestly started to feel guilty. I started to kind of feel like a dirtbag <laughs> that I didn't share the gospel more than I did. And um, I read a lot, of Christ- a lot of good books on evangelism, and uh, I came across a lot of things that were good ideas and kind of filtered it in. I was looking for something that I, it wasn't just sporadic. Like, okay, I might hear a talk like this, and I might go find the, you know, the janitor and talk to him about Christ. And then, you know, or a week li- it would last a few days, and... Or, or something, and it just didn't quite, wasn't sustainable for my life. Um, and there was like, it was bur- bits and pieces of evangelistic faithfulness. And so, through a lot of reading, I read a lot of books and things, I came across three habits 
that uh, three habits for everyday evangelism, okay? And because I see, I discovered, as I read and I discovered these things, that evangelism is a spiritual discipline, okay? Evangelism is, is one of our most important spiritual disciplines that we can have. And uh, what is a spiritual discipline? What do you guys, do you guys, anyone have a good idea of what that is? How would you define a spiritual discipline? Yeah, David? It's like a, like a habit or something that you kind of train into your life over time that has to do with growing closer to God, growing, mm-hmm. you know, having to do with others as well. Yeah, so it's a personal thing, personal habit that you're really intentional about of doing on a regular basis. So, so actually, Donald Whitney, in a, in a great book of Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he had a chapter on evangelism in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, and he said this. He said, I'm convinced the main reason many of us don't witness for Christ in ways that would be effective and relatively fear-free is simply because we don't discipline ourselves to do it. It's not that we don't have opportunities. It's because we don't discipline ourselves to do it. And it, a lot of people think, yeah, spiritual disciplines, prayer, you know, Bible reading, but you know, when it comes to evangelism, I just like to follow where the Spirit leads, okay? And my question is, how's that working, for, working out for you? <laughs> you know, how often is the Spirit leading you to share your faith? <laughs> um, because people sometimes, you, it's an intentionality. God, is, God has given us a brain, and he's, he's given us um, commands to be intentional about getting the gospel out. Christopher Adsit, in another great book, Personal Disciple Making, he said this, It doesn't matter how high or holy our world-changing intentions are if we don't have time to carry them out. <laughs> okay, so it doesn't matter how fired up you get during this talk or how uh, you read The Radical by David Platt and you're just like, yeah, you know. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. If you don't make a plan and stick to your plan and do it, uh, and make it a, de- a daily part of your life, it's not going to change your life. It's not going to make a difference. So the first habit that I discovered was praying daily for open doors um, to share Christ and boldly taking advantage of them. So praying daily for open doors and boldly taking advantage of them. Colossians 4, 2 says this, says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Colossians 4.2, and the whole passage is Colossians 4.2-6, which I'll be quoting a little bit. And two things I see in this passage is, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, and ask that God may open a door. So devote yourselves to prayer, and ask that God may open a door. So right there in scripture, the Apostle Paul is saying, pray that that God may open a door. So we, every day, I went to this seminary class um, with Mike Story, Max Marnett, um, this guy named Billy Hanks. And almost every single one of them said the first key, if you want to make disciples, if you're Max Barnett, you know, you want to make disciples. Okay, and some people aren't going to get that, but um, uh, he's awesome, Max Barnett. He says, I pray every day and ask God for an opportunity to share my faith. And then I heard Mike's story say the exact same thing. And I'm like, hmm, maybe there's something to this. And then I heard Billy Hanks say the same thing. And I came across in his book, Billy Hanks in Operation Multiplication, he said this. After extended observation, we have concluded that effective lifestyle evangelism takes place when a Christian specifically prays each morning, asking for opportunities to witness. Do you know why Christians aren't leading more people to the Savior? We aren't asking daily for opportunities to share our faith. That's Billy Hanks in Operation Multiplication. And then I came across another book by Bill Hybels, the guy I was telling you about. He wrote a book, Just Walk Across the Room, which I definitely recommend. He said this, he said, you would not believe the corresponding ratio between the number of times I pray for open doors and the number of times God swings the one loose. Uncanny. (laughs) Imagine what would happen if every single morning, every one of us prayed fervently that God would open doors for us that day. So with all that in mind, I decided to try it out. Why not? See if it would work. And I was working uh, in the secular workplace and I was praying for opportunities and my opportunities went through the roof. Just, and all I did different was start praying for these opportunities. This is the, one of the few times in my life when I first started doing this where people would bring up the gospel with me. They would say, hey, why aren't you, you know, when we talk about girls and stuff, why don't you join in that conversation? You know, and and I, I'm just like, well, that's, a, that's an opportunity. Or they, they would come to me um, with, they would make fun of me in public 
in the kind of workplace about my faith. But then in private, they come up to me and say, hey, I really respect what you're doing. And, 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 and man, how do you stay faithful to your wife like you do? And, and I got great opportunities to share the gospel. And, and really the only thing I changed was I started praying every day for an opportunity to share, share my faith. So maybe there's something there. Um, any of you guys got a new car? You got a new car? Ever had a new car or an old new car? That's, you know? So you have this car and you're really proud of it. What happens when you drive through town? You start seeing that car everywhere, right? Okay? And there's a little part of your brain called the reticular activation center. The reticular activation center that alerts your brain to stimuli. And, and, and you can turn it on or off to certain things. And I've discovered that praying for open doors turns my reticular activation center on towards open doors to share my faith. Um, Colossians 4, I mean, John 4, 34 and 35, Jesus said, Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus is saying, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Imagine what it would be like if you, every day, you prayed for an opportunity and you genuinely walked through your day in faith looking for opportunities to share the gospel. How would that change the way you go through your day? Colossians 4, 4 through 6, it says, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Um, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you know how to answer everyone. So the key is to be ready. Be ready to pounce on that opportunity when it comes and, and, and to take advantage of that. If you're going to pray for an opportunity, you better take it when it comes, okay? Uh, you better be faithful. I remember when I was first doing this, I was driving home from work. I had a pretty long commute. I was dead tired, and I, and I hadn't prayed for an opportunity that day. And so I said, Lord, I'm going home to watch 24 with my wife. And, uh, but if you want to give me an opportunity, great. <laughs> so I stopped by the Sprint store. And I got, we were getting new phones before I went home to work, to, to be with Christy. I was getting a new phone, and the guy behind the, the counter um, said something like, you know, we started a little conversation, and he made a statement saying, yeah, there's really nothing to do, I was in Norman at the time, he said, yeah, there's really nothing to do in Norman besides drink and go to the bars, and, you know, so it's kind of lame, and I, and I was like, yeah, huh. <laughs> and I was just like laughing, and and uh, as soon as I did that, I felt like a, a nudge to say, just, just tell him. Just tell him there's more. You know, just, just tell this guy there's, there's more to life than, than drinking and, getting, and, and partying. There, and so, I, but I ignored it, <laughs> okay? I ignored the prompting. And I, I drove home, and the whole time I was arguing with God. <laughs> the whole time I was like, God, I could go back, but... I will if, you, if I have to, but I don't want to, you know, and I prayed for him, and I was, I was just driving home, and, and Christy called me, and she's like, Paul, what, what phone charger did you get? Oh, you got the car one? Go back. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is God's voice through my wife telling me I need to talk to this guy. So I came to him, and I awkwardly said, you know, when, when you said there's nothing to do but go to the bars, man, that's not really true for me. Like, I have a purpose I have a, a church community where we hang out, we do barbecues, we have a great time. And man, I'd love to, for you to be a part of it. Here's the, here's the number or, and here's the website of the church. Man, I'd love to see you there sometime. And it was awkward, okay, honestly. And, and I wish I would have took the opportunity before um, rather than, than coming back later. But God used, used things like that to, to, to encourage me to be obedient. The key is to be obedient to those, those promptings and those opportunities that God gives you. So how do you know if it's an opportunity, okay? Now, I don't want you feeling all guilty and weird all the time because I've missed other opportunities that the Lord didn't lead me back to, to go talk to him again. Sometimes it's just a missed opportunity is a missed opportunity. Ask God for forgiveness and move on, okay? So I'm not saying you need to go back and kind of track everyone down that you didn't share Christ with, okay? Um, Bill Bright said this, he said, whenever I'm alone with a person for a few minutes, I, must, I assume I'm there by divine appointment. Okay, so that's one take on it. So that's pretty good, Bill Bright. Um, and then take, what I think, taking advantage of an opportunity doesn't have to be um, sharing the whole gospel. It can be, or it doesn't have to necessarily even be setting up a gospel appointment. It can be learning someone's name 
behind the checkout counter. It can be making a new friend in class, sitting next to someone and befriending someone in class. It can be going to lunch with a coworker. It can be inviting them to hang out. It can be um, starting, like, just doing something fun with a non-Christian. Um, really in sharing a short testimony, sharing a nugget of truth, letting them know that you believe in God, identifying with Christ. The list goes on and on and on. So it's not a canned one-size-fits-all approach. It's, man, follow the Spirit and do something, okay? Something is better than nothing, okay, in my opinion. Inviting the church, you know, anything you can do, do something. So I actually asked David Clark to share a little story that happened this last week. We've been talking about these three habits, and he's just going to share a little bit about that. So stand here in front of the little yeah, mic. Right. Thing. <laughs> Sweet. Um, yeah, so it was a, a little bit, like a few weeks ago, actually. But it was okay. just like, you know, basically I had been trying to get se- more serious, basically, about praying for opportunities. And uh, at least just opportunities just to meet people, you know, because it's like sometimes I kind of am sort of stuck at home, you know, because just I'm on the staff and I don't have classes and I don't have workmates to, you know, do this stuff with. So I'm just like, I just want to, God just like help me to meet new people that I can build relationships with and share with. So I was praying for that for like a week and like I saw like nothing happen and I was like, okay, this is weird. And then like w- the, the, the following week though, I started that week and I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep praying for this because I want it to happen. And so that day, li- literally a week later, I got a random text from some guy and he was like, hey, my friend and I uh, want to like come to your church or something like that or whatever and it was super and I was like like okay have we met before like what's going on it was so out of the blue it was like 10 in the morning I was like what the heck's going on and then and so but I was like okay yeah this is our church though and uh like I have a game night in my apartment you should come to that tonight it's you know it's tonight and he was like sweet you know I'll be there you know I'll bring my friend and they have like really weird names too and I was like is like someone playing like a joke on me like what's going on like I was so confused by it but I was like okay and then uh, later that day, I went to um, the coffee shop that I kind of regular at these days. And, uh, and so I was kind of looking around, and I was reading Just Walk Across the Room, which Paul mentioned already. I was reading that book, and I was kind of looking around the room, and I was just like, dang, like, I should probably, like, do something while I'm here, you know? And so in the, the, the tables at this coffee shop I go to are, like, super close together. And so you can always, like, hear what other people are saying or whatever. And so there's this guy sitting next to me, and he was just, like, sketching. And I was like, that's cool. Like, that's something that's like, applies to me. Is That's, like, in my interests or whatever. So I was like, okay, I should talk to him about that. <laughs> and I was like, like, hey, what are you sketching? You know, I was just curious. And he was like, oh, you know, I am... Like, it was for, like, a class of his, and I was like, oh, that's cool. He's, like, a college student. And I noticed he had, like, an accent, and it turns out he's, uh, he's from Israel, which is funny, because I actually went to Israel, like, in high school, and so I was able to say, like, oh, wow, like, that's crazy. Like, I've been to these different places. Like, how long have you been here? So we were able to make a connection. We learned each other's names, and uh, I was able to, you know, kind of identify with the fact that, oh, I, you know, I went to Israel for, like, a church trip, and I'm on staff with this Christian ministry and, you know, all this stuff. And so, and I was, I was just able to make that connection. And then um, basically uh, he was like, okay, yeah, I'll probably see you around here because I come here a lot. And I was like, that's really awesome. I was like, God, this is really cool. And then that night, uh, game night comes around, and I'm like, I still don't know if these, these people with weird names are real. <laughs> uh, and sure enough, I like, get, a, get a call from one of them. They're like, we're on our way. How do we get there? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. And so basically they came, and like, they had like, just recently like, kind of broken up with the church in town. Like, there was some really bad blood. or like, There was something like really... Uh, dramatic that had happened there and they, we were able to talk to them they got really personal about it really fast just like yeah I was really broken about that and we were just like uh, dude you should come to our church you should you should connect with us this is great and we were, they were like yeah I think we'll, we think we'll do that you know um, you know like Josh was there like it was so sweet and so it was just like in the, that night I was just like oh my goodness like that was like one of the most like specific like answers to prayer that I've seen God work and so, so since then, I've been like, once again, like I don't, not every day do I see something happen or have that sort of prompting. But, um, but you know, I still pray it every day because I want to, and I want to see that opportunity. I want to take it. And so that's kind of, that's my story about that. Yeah, great. Awesome, thanks. Yeah, so that's a great example. Um, so the next thing I'd say, next habit, is to develop an impact list of five to ten people that, that you want to pray for every day 
uh, and you want to intentionally try to relate to them and share the gospel with them. So I call it the prayer, care, share strategy. So you're on these people, you really are going through prayer, care, and share. And so you're praying for them every day. You put it on your daily prayer list. You're praying, praying that God draws them to himself. You're praying that you get opportunities to share Christ with them, that he softens their heart. You pray, sometimes you even pray that, that bad things happen in their life so God breaks them and they, they want to accept Christ. Uh, maybe not all the time, but um, I don't know if that's recommended or not. But um, 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. So the battle really is a spiritual battle for the hearts of people. And so it really starts in prayer. You're praying for people every day. You're laboring in prayer for them. Um, For me, uh, a practical tip that I do is do what works for you for praying for people. Maybe it's on the drive to work or school. Maybe it's in the shower. Um, For me, I just have a rule. I don't get on Twitter until I pray for my impact list and my prayer list. And so that works pretty well because I really like Twitter, okay? (laughs) So um, the next thing you do is care. (laughs) You care for people. Uh, Colossians 4, 6 says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And 1 John 3, 18, 1 John 3:18, it says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Um, Colossians 4, 6, and 1 John 3:18, Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So that means spending time with the people. It means looking for opportunities to serve them. That means listening to their story and, and kind of hearing about their life. And you're going to be surprised about how people um, respond to you caring for them. Because um, a lot of people haven't experienced someone genuinely caring for them. And then you share, okay? You prayer, you care, and you share. Um, and Colossians 4, 5, Colossians 4, 5 says, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray that I may, may proclaim it clearly as I should. So don't just hold back and and just be content with the first two because that's not friendship evangelism. That's just friendship, okay? Friendship evangelism without sharing the gospel is just friendship. It's not evangelism. It's not friendship evangelism. So share with them. Invite them to church. Um, Set up a gospel appointment with them. That's a tool we use at Challenge uh, in Chico State. If you have questions about that, I'd love to tell you more about that. Gospel appointment or invite them to church set up a gospel appointment, or just start a spiritual conversation. So, so lead, make it your goal in, within this year or within this semester that at some point I'm going to sit across a coffee shop table and I'm going to share the gospel with this person. That adds a little urgency to your prayers because you want, that adds a little bit of urgency to your befriending them because it's not just some this nebulous thing that you're kind of passive. I want people to be intentional um, about sharing their faith. I'd rather see people being a little too bold and sharing the gospel a little too often and, and having to slow you guys down than, than, than seeing you just being too careful um, with it. So learn how to share the gospel. Um, and then, and so prayer, care, share. And the last habit is plan a regular time to spend with friends who need Jesus. So plan like a regular time to hang out with those that need Jesus. Um, Matthew 9, 11 and 12. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Okay, so Jesus hung out with sinners. Um, Matthew 9, 11, and 12. And John, and Jesus, when he was praying for his disciples before he left, he prayed this. In John 17, 15, he prayed, John 17, 15, he said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So you want to be in the culture and you want to engage the culture. You, either you engage the culture or the culture will engage you. Either you seek to change the culture or the, the culture will change you. And uh, you want to be an influencer, not influenced by the culture. And so that is, looks really simple. Like Christy and I, when we got out of college, Again, we weren't on staff with the ministry, so we made it a goal that once a week we were going to invite someone from work or someone from our apartment complex or someone, you know, just that we knew that wasn't a believer, and we were going to do something fun with them every week. 
And we, were, we didn't, weren't very consistent with that, but we tried. We honestly tried. And we saw God open up doors. We saw people, us, have opportunities to share the gospel. And we saw God do some really cool things. And it was because we were intentional about getting into the lives of, of people that are far from God. And we didn't do anything weird during those times of hanging out. We just invited our neighbors over to play Nintendo Wii when that was, like, new and cool. Okay, that's how old we are. Um, so let me ask you this. What do you like to do for fun? Okay, what do you like to do for fun? Man, do that with some non-believers. Just invite non-believers to do that with you. Um, what is your interest? Um, do that with non-believers. Um, we, one of the people that we started hanging out with, we just hung out with them like two or three times, um, and it was kind of sporadic, and Christy talked to her a lot at work and things like that, but we really didn't hang out with them that much. And um, we were ended up, um, we ended up were invited to their wedding, and uh, we were the only people there besides immediate family at their wedding. And they introduced us as their best friends. And we had only hung out with them like three times outside of work and just seeing them around town. And it just shows how people are hungry for community. People are hungry for connection. People, people want friends. That's one, especially on college campus, one of the biggest felt needs of a college student is friends and a, a community to belong to. So we have that. We have something important there. And another thing to consider is um, one thing we do in Chico is we encourage students to have a personal ministry target. So maybe that's your dorm, your fraternity, your workplace, your, your apartment complex, your neighborhood. Man, make that a place where you do the prayer, care, share strategy, and you so broadly to see God do some, do some cool stuff. So, so some of you guys have heard this before, and you've even heard me give a talk like this before, but... I want to challenge you to, to, do, to do it. I want to ask you, are you really doing this? Okay? G.I. Joe is wrong, right? G.I. Joe is wrong. Knowing is not half the battle, okay? Knowing is not half the battle. Um, knowing is like 10% of the battle, okay? 90% of the battle is actually doing what you know. So, so I, don't, I don't care if you've heard this before. I care if, are you doing this? Is this a daily everyday part of your life, because the title of this workshop is Everyday Evangelism. Are you committed to seeing God use you? Who is going to be in heaven as a result of your life? Who is going to be in heaven as a result of your life? John 13, 17. Now, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time that we get to spend together, and I pray that each of us would walk away more committed to to helping others take their next step in following you. And you would open our eyes to see the abundant harvest field and the people all around the world that need to hear the good news. And you'd, you'd help us to be courageous and obedient. And your spirit would, would use each one of us, I pray, to, even, to lead someone to Christ by this time next year. That you would bless us with that opportunity to, to share the gospel with multiple people. And by this time next year, everyone in this room we get to lead someone to you. And that's something only you can do. So, but why not ask? So, Father, I pray that you would bless the rest of this, this time. And uh, we, we're very grateful for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, actually, we're out of time for questions. I'm sorry. So, um, I, I, I blew it on that one. Um, but because dinner's at 6. So, if you have a question, come to me and I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you personally. So, all right. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we can talk and walk. So, thanks, guys.